Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two, three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with. Agenda with women in the arts. You're listening to Agenda by Women in the Arts. I'm Isabel Hawthorburn. And I'm Katie Winton. Thanks for another great episode of All the Best. Head online to the programs page, click on All the Best to listen back to that one. So today we're talking about Beyonce and the asexual and hypersexual modalities of pregnancy and race at the Grammys, but also like the way that it plays out in kind of popular culture, film and television and music generally. Yeah, we'll also be talking to the fantastic performance art vehicle Embittered Swish about their current exhibition and performance work, Our Lady of the Flowers, Refracted. First off, though, Beyonce has yet again broken the internet (laughs) with her heinous pregnancy announcement and then more recently with her Grammy performance. What are you talking about? I really don't think that the photos of her pregnancy were heinous. The artist was really young and, yeah, 26-year-old Ethiopian multimedia artist whose work explores the adaption of famous tropes of Western art. Like he's done work before that's kind of been a take on Michelangelo's David or the girl with the pearl earring and the Grammys performance was incredible. Oh, it's a guy. I didn't realise that artist was a guy. Right. Oh, interesting. Well, I think we're split on the pregnancy (laughs) shoot. I think it's like oversaturated and awful, but but also had Grammys dress like smacked of Tina Knowles. It's like straight out of a Destiny's Child video clip, but everyone like loves it. Yeah. I mean, I do think the fact that the Instagram post is the most liked Instagram photo ever in Instagram's history is pretty interesting. Like why are people so obsessed with celebrity pregnancies? Well, I think, yeah, the fetishization of women's bodies um, still happens to pregnant women as well. And just, it kind of operates in different ways and it feeds into kind of deep seated societal attitudes about gender and race and reproductive rights as well. Which is nothing new, though. Like, fetishization of pregnant bodies has been a pretty ongoing thing for a lot of years. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But I do think that it's different for women of colour. Um, I didn't actually watch the performance. I've seen, like, lots of GIFs of it, though. So I know <laughs> that she, like, kind of went backwards on a chair. Yeah, yeah, the chair, like, yeah. It was good? The like, chair revolved it really... backwards and there were all these dancers that were kind of, like, leading up to the chair and it was just her. And then there was this shot of the documentation of it where she was looking down on her. So it was kind of like right. she was lying in a chair with all this. Yeah. <laughs> you have to watch it. Yeah, I think I should watch it. So I haven't watched it, but I have been like paying quite close attention to the kind of way that it's been embraced you know, on social media and the kind of backlash uh, of the media as well. I think you were saying that people like, she looked too pregnant. And, you know, but I think it's interesting that when she was pregnant with Blue Ivy, also really interesting fact, Blue <laughs> Ivy was like, her name was inspired by a Rebecca Solnit poem, which is like, yeah, Rebecca Solnit wrote um, Men Explain Things to Me, which is like a really fantastic book, but like not one that I thought Beyonce had read. Yeah. Yeah. Rebecca <laughs> Solnit coined the mansplaining term. Yeah. To she give a bit of context. Mans- yeah. yeah. Mansplaining is it's all her. And, and now I think she like regrets it. She's like, I wish <laughs> yeah. it's kind of like Drake with YOLO. He's like, I wish I had never said that. <laughs> Because now it's been, like, ruined. Um, So when she was first pregnant with Blue Ivy, people were like, oh, she's not really pregnant. It's, like, it's a trick. It's it's a part of her, like, to hype her new album or something. And I think that that's, like, a unique kind of dynamic in the media in terms of, like, the black pregnant women. And that way... The way that her pregnancies have been covered in the media by dominant culture kind of speaks to the way that women of colour in general are hypersexualized and like overly abundant and dangerously fertile. So you don't really see that in the portrayal of white pregnant celebrities as being like dangerously fertile. And like we were saying, like people actually said that about her. She looks too pregnant. Yeah. She shouldn't have worn that revealing thing. It's just like, 
why? Yeah, people were saying that, that she was focusing too much on her belly and it was mm. this really kind of critique of how much she could show of her pregnancy. But I think, I don't know, I feel like she kind of reclaimed that in the way that she really, Beyonce has this way of really stylizing her image so meticulously and she she reclaimed that in announcing the pregnancy on her own terms with her imagery that she chose very particularly. Yeah, I think she's like the queen of that actually, like very controlled release of information and I think particularly for women and for women of colour as well it's like it's it's nice or it's like heartening to see like total what seems to be total control of yeah. your, your image but it reminds me of the Annie Leibovitz photo of Demi Moore like on mm. the Vanity Fair and I think that was like hugely important for the way that um, pregnancy was seen just in terms of like she was she was naked. Yeah but it's interesting that photo too because that one doesn't I guess the way that white bodies are portrayed in the media, that one doesn't seem as sexualized as Beyonce's does. It seems a lot more like a reference to an art history photograph or the, the nude or the Western kind of gaze of that makes it seem oh, you think, less sexual. You think Beyonce's is more sexual? Yeah, definitely. No way. Really? Demi Moore's is like super sexy and it's like the lighting is all dark and she's like, I find like hers is way more sexy. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I don't know about, yeah. I yeah. don't know, but maybe that's just something that can't be escaped because of Demi Moore's body type. Like Beyonce is fetishized so much yeah, as, yeah. A, as a woman of colour. I guess she looks, I like the Demi Moore one, she's like less sexy because she's like, she's like very pregnant. Oh, whoa, actually that's really weird. What? I was just thinking that she's like, I was just saying, oh, she's less sexy because she's more pregnant. But I think that kind of reveals my own internalised, like, mis- misogyny. Uh, misogyny about, of, like, yeah. like, you become incrementally less sexy as you become more pregnant. That's weird. Yeah, which is why both of those photos are so important, though, because yeah. it's reclaiming the way that your pregnant body is seen and yeah. it's kind of escaping this trope of the hyper-feminine or the... I mean, I guess Beyonce's was hyper-feminine, but it's reclaiming that space and not viewing it as something that is like, oh, you're maternal, now you're this pure mm. being that n- never does anything that's rebellious or sexual or, you know, viewed in this way that people like view motherhood yeah but it's it's really interesting the way that race plays into that because there was an atlantic article recently about like what the beyonce pregnancy announcement and the way that people just went nuts about it reveals about culture at the moment and this writer has literally written a book about like celebrity pregnancies and she's identified like three different tropes or like ways that pregnancy is understood for white celebrities. So there's like the good girl, which is like Jennifer Garner and Julia Roberts. And then there's the bad girl, which is Britney Spears. And then there are bad girls redeemed like Angelina Jolie. Oh, there's also another one that's like the Katie Holmes and Nicole Kidman, which is like the worried, you know, she's like, oh, is she going to be okay kind of thing. But what is really interesting is that for women of colour, and that's not just black women, but also Latinas, is that their pregnant bodies, and I'm talking about like celebrities, are sexualised objects more so than white. White women's pregnant bodies are not sexualised. But like with Halle Berry, almost every single headline about her body was like, whoa, yummy mommy, sexy mama, and all these kind of things. It was like really gross. And I didn't realise it until I went back through it, but it's like J-Lo. People were obsessed, and I think with Kim Kardashian as well, it's like, she became pregnant and it was all about her, like, their booties as well. Oh, mm. I hate that word. <laughs> um, but, like, less emphasis on, like, the child's... With, like, Katie Holmes and Nicole Kidman, it was like, is she going to be okay? Is the baby going to be okay? Mm. But with, like, Halle Berry, J-Lo, Kim Kardashian, it was like, look how big her booty is now. It's, like, even bigger. <laughs> like, it's just really interesting that that's the way that the kind of... The media covers mm, mm. pregnancies in different ways. Yeah. 
We're going to be taking tracks that are all Beyonce covers today <laughs> to tie in with our celebrity pregnancy obsession episode. <laughs> um, this one right now is by Anthony the Johnsons. It's a cover of Crazy in Love. First, though, we're just going to hear a little bit about All About Women happening at the Opera House soon. Contemporary feminism, gender roles and nasty women. All About Women returns for 2017, exploring equality, the depiction of women in the media and the impact of war. Engage with ideas that matter more than ever, Sunday, March 5 at the Sydney Opera House. Check out the full program featuring Janine DiGiovanni, Julia Enders and Ensemble Offspring at sydneyoperahouse.com forward slash AAW. Sponsoring FBI. Stay so deep in your eyes I touch on you more and more every time When you leave, I'm begging you not to go Call your name two or three times in a row Such a funny thing for me to try to explain How I'm feeling and my pride is the one to blame But I still don't understand just how your love can do what no one else can Got me looking so crazy right now Your love got me looking so crazy right now Got me looking so crazy right now Your touch got me looking so crazy right now Got me hoping you page me right now Your kiss got me hoping you save me right now Thank you. 
Sydney Unlocked is our new podcast focusing on conversations about what we want Sydney's cultural future to look like and how we can get there. There is that expectation that music is self-sustaining and there should mm-hmm. be a financial model to it that supports itself. And that, I think, informs government's perspective around how they fund it. There's this understanding that governments have that art needs to be funded. Music is not included in that conversation. That's really quite an interesting factor given that a lot of people enjoy music daily. Grab the first episodes now at fbiradio.com slash podcasts or subscribe in iTunes. That was Anthony the Johnson's cover of Crazy in Love. We're joined now by two members of Performance Art Vehicle, Embittered Swish, um, Cinnamon Templeton and Bobak Syed. Hey. Hey. Hi. <laughs> so we've been talking about the hypersexualization of the non-white pregnant body in the public sphere this morning in terms of Beyonce. So, and your current show at First Draft touches on hypervisibility and unconscious action as rewriting the bodies that fall into public and private spaces. Can you talk a little bit about what that means? Um, so this show that we're doing at First Draft is actually um, a refraction of a stage show that we did in October, um, which was based on a novel called Our Lady of the Flowers, which is by Jean Genet, um, but was sort of like our renovation of that to reflect our own realities. Um, so we've been working since about July or August on um, coming up with like movements and stuff. Um, how do you refract a stage show? Um, well, we had an idea about this as being like the ghost of the stage show. So it's um, we realised that we couldn't be in the gallery at all times. It would, it's a really different format to being on stage. And so we thought the best way to deal with that is think about, um, yeah, the haunting of our bodies in the space and the traces of performances. Um, yeah, the remains of visibility. <laughs> Right. And so you're um, like inspired by the novel Our Lady of the Flowers. That was like your starting point? Yeah, but now we've sort of like moved moved away from that. And it's just, yeah. Um, yeah, just the remnants. Yeah, Yeah, right. <laughs> so I thought that, because I came and saw it last Saturday, and mm-hmm. I thought the part that you were reading was from that, but it's not. It's uh, No, so now we're working. So each week we've been having showings, mm-hmm. and, uh, and individual members of the collective are working with um, local artists from Sydney. Um, so we're doing like mini collaborations and then just showing the work um, each week is like a yeah ongoing development. 
of our ideas and yeah what are some of the different elements of it because there's sculpture performance soundscape like how does that all kind of tie in yeah well we tried to kind of fray out um those traces and ghosts meant um into different mediums that were kind of catered to the special niches of each member of of Mid Swish. So we have uh, Romy Fox um, doing live sound installations and soundscapes that also incorporate parts of the text, but also um, employ her own specific style as well. And then I spent the better half of the beginning of this year um, creating a like mechanical sculptural installation that was kind of paid homage to ideas of disembodiment and queer isolation and dissociation that are like anchored in the show and the book vaguely but also kind of um are gesturing to a future and Mm. gesturing to a kind of yeah to a new craft or practice for for all of us what does that future look like yeah what do you imagine it looks like well, it's this future that um, it's still very like it's got the traces of the past, obviously. So it's got a um, it's got a tattered and burnt um, and very muddy um, wedding veil held in a um, cast hand of a brown figure that um, robotically kind of revolves and rises out of a kind of laced series of platforms. Mm. Yeah, so it's literally a gesture, yeah. Mm. <laughs> On yeah. the robot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's figuratively a gesture and also yeah. <laughs> a gesture. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you have a performance this afternoon at First Drafts? Yeah, we, ha- we have a showing at 4pm um, till 6. And what can we kind of expect from that or what can someone expect from that? Well, there's a series of artists. Um, I'm performing with Krishna Ita, and I'm also doing another collaboration with um, local Sydney artist Brian Fuata. Yeah, it's been really interesting working with Brian, whose craft is more established, who's got a specific style of performance um, that's quite different from my own. And so reconciling, but also like stepping out of a kind of theatricality and adopting a kind of pedestrian methodology is actually um yeah i don't know it's unearthing a new practice that's still vaguely rooted in yeah what we're familiar with yeah this this kind of iteration of the show and the collective has changed quite a lot since you started it and you you had a um, residency at performance space is that yes right? yeah. yeah so that was when embittered swish was smaller only three people mm. then um and yeah we just keep changing and like i don't want to get stale <laughs> <laughs> well it's interesting like thinking about like futuring and it sounds like people are within embittered swish are at different stages in their practice and their career and it seems to be very kind of enlivened by that that you can kind of see people bringing different things and like their own experience to it it's yeah. Definitely, yeah. What? Everyone's so different yeah. in the collective and everyone's coming from really different skill sets, backgrounds and different Which is brilliant. relations to transness as well, yeah. definitely. Different what? relations to transness also informed by our race as well, mm. which is huge because for some of us, you know, race is like... Well, for, for all of us, but especially for the people of colour in the collective, you know, our, our race and how we're racialized and read mm. as far as being visible in space is um, inseparable from our gender. How does that play out into your work? Well, it's something that we're still in the process of nutting out and really, like, um, establishing a certain kind of practice for. But it's also these concerns about visibility and, like, how you actually grapple with a performer of colour engaging with other performers who are white in a space because those two aren't ever going to be read in the same way. There's a completely different... The audience member projects an entirely different kind of framework for the body onto performers mm-hmm. of colour 
and especially the trans mass performer of color mm. and the trans femme performer of color and what it means to kind of um, gender the body is at once racializing it as well. And how does that kind of, I guess, how is that received in a gallery space as well? Because that's quite a different space to where the collective has come from before. And also it's a different viewing of it in terms of an art gallery context and what people bring to that. Does that change or has that changed the perception of it? Yeah, totally. It's it's, it's a good question because it's kind of been one of the formative prompts of Brian and I's collaboration is kind of forming a dialogue with our performance with the white gallery space mm. and also the white gaze, given like many of our audience members will also be white. So kind of providing an assumption of what two brown bodies can do and represent in a space and then immediately kind of like breaking the gaze and entering into the the audience and, and continuing to do that as a way of kind of subverting what it means to have two brown bodies engaging in any sense in a space. What are some of the ways that you break that or that you've been working to try and break that case? Well, I think traditionally the two, like the brown body is, has a way of kind of um, being read as masculine, as aggressive, as very kind of like hard, fast, quick, and, and it's over. And it really erases a lot of the complexity and dimensionality that especially like Brian and I really identify and pride ourselves on. And so we're kind of moving in the direction of establishing a practice of tenderness and intimacy because that's just something you don't see in the gallery space ever mm-hmm. yeah it does feel like quite an intimate performance or an intimate work as well as you were saying before that you saw it last week yeah I, I was also I think Brian was sitting in front of me and I thought it was like really I was trying I was like this is really serious this is going to be really deep but it was like your performance was like very funny as well mm. and I didn't anticipate that and so I was like I could feel like a laugh coming out of me and I was like oh my god don't laugh and then I like and I was like oh this is so embarrassing it's coming and then I like heard Brian or someone around me like laugh and I was like okay we're allowed to laugh this is okay but it's yeah it's an interesting tension between Mm, yeah but but then again your work um sounds completely different again Mm. I'd be like it sounds very very interesting particularly I think the white gaze is very universalizing and so like for even both of you to be speaking to different things Mm. and that complexity coming out I'd love to see that like yeah yeah is this something that's going to be in development past the first draft iteration of it as well Uh, we're still deciding okay (laughs) (laughs) um and also what does where did embedded swish come from um I think it's from the book oh okay I can't remember Okay, cool. <laughs> it sounds like a slur. I think that's why we liked it. Yeah, right. Like everyone started calling us, that's embittered swish. And I was like... <laughs> oh, you thought it was like a diss. <laughs> well, yeah, it just sounds like that. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I saw something on social media that someone had posted that, was, that I think it was one of, one of embittered swish had mm-hmm. posted something that sounded similar that was different words. Did I make that up? Uh, yeah, we've been. We, it's been like this season of puns. So like, right. We've been um, calling it like a bit of piss and like <laughs> incidental witch and like. Awesome. <laughs> um, we actually need to do a shameless promotion. For oh our, yeah, um, we've got. <laughs> um, we're, we're presenting a screening of the documentary Avarian Psychos for Queer Screen Mardi Gras Film Festival tomorrow at seven fifteen George Street Cinemas. So we're going to be presenting that, I guess. We're both wearing our best pants. We were talking about <laughs> before pants. we came online. Yeah. How fancy. And if you've missed anything that we've talked about today, we'll pop it up on the FBI website. You just click on programs and then agenda and we'll put all the details of the Embedded Swish performance. Today's the last day that people can see it. Is that correct? Um, yeah, but the gallery is going to be up until the end of February. And then we have right. artist talks on Thursday. I don't know what Next we'll do week. for that. But on the 23rd. 
Great. Yeah. In terms of the gallery space, like, I'm not saying you make a mess, but like you imprinted <laughs> on the walls and things. Does that stay or is it going to be different? Yeah. Is it constantly kind of adding to it's that? The process of accumulation. Yeah, right. Getting messier. Mm. Oh, yeah, cool. Great. So we'll pop up all the details online. Thank you so much for coming in to talk to Absolutely. us. Thank you. That's Thank all you. we've got time for. This is my favorite Destiny's Child remix, which is still technically Beyonce, but there is a terrible joke that's going around on the internet at the moment. I thought you were going to deliver this so much better. Sorry, can you deliver it? (laughs) Okay, so this is the way that I wrote this joke. Katie was going to say, this is technically Destiny's Child, but Beyonce's pregnancy isn't the first time she's had to carry two people. (laughs) Butchered the joke. Anyway, (laughs) this is Cyril Hahn remix of Destiny's Child Say My Name. You've been listening to Agenda on FBI. (laughs) 